Father, thank you for a new day with new mercy and the grace which you lavish upon us and the grace in which we can stand and sing and be counted worshipers in spirit and truth. We know that out of the same mouth and out of the same heart come both blessing and cursing. We know that uh, the same commitment uh, that we have to setting you forth and making much of you on this day uh, will be matched by, at times, a commitment to setting ourselves forth and advancing ourselves throughout the week. So we, we stand fully acknowledging that there is still too much of us, too much of the remnants of sin and self at work in our hearts, but also acknowledging that you've taken care of that too, that um, we have every confidence we can boldly approach because it is not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace and mercy. And so as we now look into your word this morning, we pray that you would keep at the forefront of our mind um, that you are the Lord, our God, and not just the judge, our God that we have so much hope and peace and joy in believing. So help us, Holy Spirit, to believe this morning. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Psalm 62 this morning. Periodically, I think it's important to deviate from an expositional preaching series um, There are three circumstances I can think of where this might happen. First, um, when there's something significant going on in the congregation that needs to be um, addressed or tended by the preaching ministry. Second, in those traditional seasons uh, like Christmas and Easter where you're afforded a special opportunity to take note of a particular theme or passage in Scripture. And then third... When the preacher senses the Holy Spirit is leading him to attend um, something other than, you know, where you've been. And today is that third circumstance. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, I've observed some things and been part of some conversations and even had uh, my own few personal experiences, which caused me to consider abandoning James for at least a week. Now... I normally ignore those feelings because uh, I think if you, if you just stay the course, it's safer, and you run the risk, anytime you divert from a preaching series, you run the risk of uh, preaching your own mind rather than the scripture. Because uh, you, know, you, you know when you're listening to a preacher who just needs to get some things off his chest. <laughs> Uh, and that's not, what, that's not what this is about. So I'm cautious about doing this. Um, but I'm also convinced that this needs to be done. Um, so my devotional time, my personal devotional time, found me in Psalm 62 earlier this week. And I was struck by something I saw here. That, in combination with the aforementioned observations and experiences, 
um, made me suspect that, that you and I would all benefit from some time with the shepherd today rather than the apostle. Um, so hopefully that explanation suffices. Let's get into uh, his word and not mine. Psalm 62, verse 1, says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Uh, my thesis statement would be, we are bad at silence and we are bad at waiting. In um, ooh, 122 years ago, in uh, 1900, the first wireless transmission of the human voice was accomplished. 20 years after that, uh, the first news program was broadcast over radio by CBS. 20 years after that, we're now to 1940, for those of you who are homeschooled. Um, <laughs> commercial television transmissions came into the limelight in Europe and North America. And then in 1969, almost 30 years later, Sesame Street aired its first broadcast. In 1979, two students at Duke University originated the idea of using uh, born shell computing scripts to communicate over a serial line with students at uh, the nearby University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This eventually led to the formation of the Transmission Control Program Internet Protocol, or TCP-IP uh, network, which forms the basis of the internet. So that was 1979. In the span of fewer than 20 years from 1979, the internet brought us from bulletin boards to email to websites, and then in 2005, you have the launch of YouTube, which allowed individual users to upload videos of literally whatever they wanted to a common site where everybody else could go and watch them. The speed at which we get information has been increasing exponentially for the last 100 years. Agreed? Yeah. So instead of waiting for news to come and waiting for the printer to print a broadsheet newspaper so that we could read somebody's take on what was going on, we can now listen to a thousand someone's takes on what's going on within minutes of it going on. Um, simultaneously, I think, the capacity we have for absorbing information has been decreasing over the same span of time. I mentioned Sesame Street earlier. And the cool and unique thing about Sesame Street was its interactions and segments rarely exceeded five minutes. And most of them, in fact, clocked in at under two minutes. So Sesame Street kind of set the standard for how long you can expect to keep a child's attention in, in the early uh, 1970s. Um, and then, you know, you go from there to Teletubbies, which isn't even about anything. <laughs> and from there 
to cocomelon, which I think was probably created by Satan, <laughs> right? There's, I mean, there's something alarmingly anonymous about the creators of cocomelon. If you're not familiar with it, go check it out. It's on YouTube. That's where it started, and that's where it resides. Uh, seems like it's just nursery rhymes, right? But there's something going on there. I can't quite put my finger on it. All of that, I don't know, it, it sort of sets the table. It sort of like lays out where we've been headed as a culture and gets me to the place where I go, eh, it's not that surprising that TikTok is the most popular social media app among adults. Not you know, not kids, it's most popular among adults. The average TikTok video is fewer than 60 seconds long. And that means that anyone under the age of 55, and I'm being conservative, was raised in the era of Sesame Street and the internet. It makes sense that we would like a platform that gives us information in 45-second bites. And if we don't, at any minute, like what's being shown to us, we can move on to the next thing. Our information comes faster and in smaller pieces than any time in modern history. The ability of human beings to fill every waking moment with colorful lights and sounds and something that entertains the, the baser instincts of the mind is bad enough. Now that entertainment is curated for you by algorithms which prevent you from seeing something that might cause you to shut the device off. So really, fascinatingly, what you have is a situation where the content that's being delivered to you is broken up into small infinitesimal bits that are almost meaningless, while simultaneously the real goal is to keep your attention engaged in that thing for as long as possible. I don't know what all the psychological effect of that is, but I know this. We are bad at silence, and we are bad at waiting. According to Medical News Today, that's a publishing outfit, not some vague ascription to a source. According to Medical News Today magazine, generalized anxiety disorder is more likely to occur in wealthier countries. Okay? I just think that's an interesting tidbit of information. You would think when you're not sure where your meal is coming from tomorrow, there would be more anxiety than where you have a fridge stocked full of enough food to last a couple of weeks. In the United States, 40 million adults suffer from anxiety-related conditions. This is a 28% increase from just 10 years ago. 40 million adults. That's 26 and up. We're not even saying 18. We're saying 26 and up. And chalk it up to COVID-19 all you want. 
that anxiety has not gone down at a compensatory rate with the threat of the disease. Furthermore, it's worth noting that generalized anxiety is more prevalent by a factor of two among those aged 26 to 49 than those who are older than that. So there does seem to be a cutoff where it's not as much of a problem. In college, nearly half of all students who seek some kind of counseling do so for anxiety. No one can deny the correlation of these two things. Increased access to information, entertainment, and the corresponding shrinking of the world. That's one. And increased instances of mental illness, fearfulness, and the dull emotional ache which plagues the hearts of so many people in our culture. I am not saying that the internet is making people sick. I didn't say causation. I said there's correlation between these things. They are co-related. One has to do with the other, and we don't know how, but I know this. We are bad at silence, and we are bad at waiting. So David says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. So what happens here is the shepherd tells us that his soul waits in silence, and we literally cannot go any further than that. Why? Because we are bad at waiting and we are bad at silence. We can't wait. We can't bear silence. Or if we can, we can't wait silently on God alone. To wait on God is an expression of faith. To wait on God alone is an expression of some kind of chastity, faithfulness not running after other things simultaneously. We'll wait on God and whatever we think we need from him. We'll wait on God and whatever we think our earthly deliverance will be. But will we just wait on God alone? We're probably bad at it. To wait on God alone in silence is an expression of yielded contentedness, which I'm not sure we can fully comprehend. Our problems, whatever they are, are magnified by our unwillingness to wait. We want a solution. We want relief. We want an answer. We need a solution, relief, and an answer. So rather than wait, we run. Rather than uh, embrace the opportunity provided by silence, what we run to is noise. Let me fill my senses with anything to pass the time. And often we run to noise with any substitute for God that we can find. So let's start here. Whatever's going on in your life, and I'm not suggesting that it hasn't been going on for a long time. I'm not saying you haven't prayed about it. I'm not saying that, you know, I've, 
you need to hear this message because you're in this room right now. It has application to you. I'm not accusing you of being impatient if you're not impatient. So maybe this part isn't for you. If you've been waiting on God alone in silence, the last thing you need to hear is anything approaching a rebuke. Please know that others in this room do need to hear this, even if you don't. So for the rest of us who aren't nailing it, whatever's going on in your life, here's the question. Can you wait? Can you, do you know how to wait? Have you tried waiting? Do you know what waiting is? The word wait, W-A-I-T, means stay where one is, delaying action. That's waiting. I understand there are times where we have to take action. I get it. Like, if I thought our culture had a problem where we just like to sit and do nothing, I would be preaching a different sermon. Right? Probably from this text, a different sermon. I understand there are times where we have to do things. I get all of that. But listen to what I'm suggesting. For a myriad of reasons, our generation is bad at waiting. This means we are very likely taking action frequently without due consideration. We are very likely, very possibly taking, therefore, the wrong action. This means we're very possibly taking action which is making things worse. Because we're bad at waiting. If we lived in a culture that was great at waiting, I wouldn't have to say this. What if you just waited? What would happen? Do you ever, I work with people who, I mean, they are constantly doing two things at once. And this is not a celebration of me, all right? Peace. I'm not saying, listen to how amazing I am that I don't do this. I don't comprehend it. The younger people that I work with must have some kind of music or video or game or something going on a device at all times, regardless of what they're doing. I can't concentrate with that, right? But I noticed something else too. So this applies to all of us. Uh, and sorry if this triggers you because you spend a lot of time in the doctor's office. I don't, but I have noticed that people do not wait in the waiting room. It needs to be renamed the cellular device observation room <laughs> because people don't wait. It, they, they come in, they check in, they sit down. Whoop. Or, or we went out, uh, you weren't invited. It was just me and John and Katie and Lisa and Matt and Hillary. Sorry, last week we went out uh, for appetizers and a family came in to, I'm assuming, have a meal. And God bless them. This is probably better than the alternative, which is a screaming child. But there was an iPad for each of the, you know, five to 11-year-old children. And they're just buried in it the whole time. Because we don't know how to wait. 
We don't wait. You watch. The next time you're in between tasks and you have a few minutes to kill, what, where do your hands go? What do your eyes do? What do you do? What if instead, the next time you had time to snatch up whatever it is that distracts you, what if you just waited instead? What would happen? The shepherd says his soul waits in silence for God alone. And what does he talk about in this psalm? Well, we haven't read it. Look at this. This is amazing. Verse three. How long will you, all of you, attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Does that sound like he's having a good time? No, he's not having a good time. So what does this tell us? This tells us that in times of trouble and discomfort and when things are disconcerting, maybe we should try waiting. But this is not a prescription for idleness. Look at what he says. Verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. David is prescribing that we wait for something particular. The word from which we get salvation here. Look at it. Verse two. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. The word from which we get salvation in Hebrew, it's not like a special word that just means salvation. So what the translators do is contextually, they, they go, well, okay, he's talking about this, so salvation makes sense here. But it could be deliverance, help, prosperity, security, or salvation, right? So let's take any of those. Say you're in a situation where you need deliverance. Right? You need to be rescued. You are in over your head. Right? What situations call for rescue are the ones where you cannot pull yourself up by your bootstraps, go get a sword or a gun, and handle it yourself. You need to be rescued. Okay? Maybe this is a situation at school where you feel like you have no friends. Or maybe you drove all your friends away by being uh, nasty and a liar and unkind or hurtful. Or maybe somebody lied about you. Doesn't sound like fun at all back there. Maybe this is a situation at work where you're legitimately afraid that you're going to get fired because you made a big mistake or somebody else did and it's gonna have an impact on you. Maybe this is uh, your, you are mom at home and you are losing the plot. I get it. I mean, not, I, not the mom part, but the losing the plot part, I get. There are more of them than there are of you and they, they, they gang up on you and they make you think that you've lost your mind or you say things that you, when you were dreaming of being a mom, you never thought would come out of your mouth to them, about them, you need to be rescued. Maybe you're a wife or a husband and you can't save the marriage. You've tried everything. In every case, you need, look at me, 
deliverance. I need to be, I can't, like everything I do is making this worse. Adding more me, more of my inventiveness to the equation is not going to help. I need to be delivered or rescued. Let's say you're in a situation where you need help. That's different than deliverance. Help is different. Help is you can't figure out the answer. Help is you can't quite run fast or jump high enough. Help is you can't fix the car, but you got it apart. Help is you can't figure out the taxes. Help is you can't figure out the court system. Help is you can't shut off the voice that never shuts up, but you know enough not to always listen to it. You need help. You need a lift. You just can't do it yourself. Perhaps you're in a situation where you need prosperity. Okay, here we go. Buckle up. The bills are bigger than the paycheck. What you need is prosperity. The furnace broke down. The dental work is too expensive. The mortgage went up. Gas was never supposed to be. Four freaking dollars a gallon. Are you kidding me? Didn't we do this already back in the early 2000s? Why are we doing this again? You idiots. All across this country this winter, there are going to be people who literally cannot afford to run the furnace. It's going to happen. You need money and you just can't get it fast enough. Maybe you're in a situation where you need security. This is different than deliverance. This is different than help. This is different than prosperity. Security is you feel like threats are everywhere. Crime is ticking up. As you watch the news, your neighbors all wear ankle monitors. Our elected leaders are ruining everything. And frankly, you're not even sure the election was legitimate. Nothing feels certain anymore. Maybe you feel like something bad is always just about to happen and you can't put your finger on why. Your heart rate is just permanently, slightly Elevated. You need security and there's nowhere to find it. What does David prescribe? Verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my deliverance, rescue, help, prosperity, security, salvation. He alone is my rock and deliverance, rescue, help, security, prosperity, salvation. My fortress, I shall not be greatly shaken. What if we just tried waiting? Like, don't pick up your phone. Don't turn on the TV. Don't text anyone. Don't watch a video on the subject. Don't get on social media. What if you just waited? What if you just waited in silence? The kids have to sleep eventually, right? Or some Benadryl and lock the door, whatever it takes. <laughs> there has got to be a moment where we could just try this. Just, just, just wait. What if we waited in silence for God alone? What if we stopped complaining to our spouse, hoping that they can offer help, rescue, deliverance, prosperity, or security? What if we quit hoping for a friend to say just the right words? What if we stopped counting on inheritance to come and bail us out of our money troubles? What if we stopped waiting for a strong man or a new politician or a prince with horses and chariots to come and bring security? What if during our moment of silent waiting, we just waited on God? 
You ready to have your mind blown? Check this out. Look at verse one again. God alone, for God alone, my soul waits in silence, for from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. So David describes 2022 and the horror show that is our culture. They attack a man just to hurt him. They do it when he's already beaten. They do it just because they want to see him fall. They don't even t- there's nothing personal. We just like watching people fall. They do it because they like lying. So they lie about him and they revel in their lies. They're two-faced. They say nice things with their mouths, but they think hurtful things in their hearts. Duplicitous, nasty, two-faced, backstabbing, horrible, selfish, hurtful people will destroy you just for the enjoyment of watching you be undone. That's our culture. And it's hard to find deliverance, prosperity, security, help, salvation in a culture like ours. But right there at the end of verse four, Selah, stop, wait, rest. Nobody knows what the word means. I don't care. Who says they know? They figured it out. Nobody knows what Selah means. But I can tell you this, it's a musical word, I think. Whether its definition is wait or not, what does it make you do every time you're reading the Psalms and come across this word? Hey, you pause. David wants us to stop. Verse five. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So two more prescriptions found here. Remember, our first prescription, although I didn't identify it that way, is wait in silence for God alone. That's one, if you're taking notes, okay? Our second prescription is to rehearse the truth. So David says it in verses one and two, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Uh, God's my salvation, my deliverance, my rescue, my help, my security. God is my rock. He's my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And he says it again in verses six and seven. He only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. So here's my question. Which one of us doesn't need a refuge? We need to rehearse the truth, don't we? I love that David starts off so well. He starts so, my soul sits in silence waiting for God alone. He's telling himself the truth and then his mind, as he's rehearsing the situation, wanders toward his enemies How often do we do that? We're trying to pray and we start thinking about the situation and we start moaning about how awful it is and we start circling the drain and getting wrapped around the axle and worrying about what's gonna happen and why doesn't anybody care and why is life so hard and why doesn't anyone help and, 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 and stop. 
Wait. Go back to the truth. We have a refuge. We have salvation. We have a fortress. Selah. So first, wait in silence for God alone. Second, rehearse the truth. Don't get caught up in your own thoughts. What does God say? What does Jesus call wore out people to do? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Well, I'm fine. Well, then don't come. The rest of us that are not fine are so happy to hear that he has invited us to come weary and heavy laden. He doesn't say weary and heavy laden with Christian charitable service. There is no caveat. He says, are you weary? Are you heavy laden? You come on. Rehearse the truth. And third, look at verse eight. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Look right at me. I want to be transparent, okay? So I'm gonna be transparent. Again, You've seen all of my seminary degrees. So take this with a grain of salt if you need to. I have been walking with God now for 25 years. And I I have spent enough time in the word, in the gospel, and in prayer to believe what I'm about to say to you is a true and right exhortation. We can still be friends if you disagree with me. Quit filling your prayers with what you think God wants to hear. That is not pouring out your heart to him. David doesn't say, pour the Christian parts of your heart out to him. The Holy Spirit doesn't have him write that. Pour your heart out to him Not because you think there's something he needs to learn about you. He already knows what's in your heart. You're not disguising anything with your caveats and hesitations and clarifications as you're praying. Pour your heart out to him because maybe there's something about you you need to learn about you. The Holy Spirit doesn't say pour the acceptable parts of your heart out to him. How about this? Pour the broken parts of your heart out to him. Pour the doubting parts out. Pour the scared parts out to him. Pour the parts with bad theology out to him. Say stuff to God you're not sure is true. God, it's obvious you don't care about me. God, it's clear to me you hate me. Pour it out to him. Tell him. Could it possibly get worse? Yes, if you keep bottling that up and crushing it down and trying to maintain this facade that you are Saint Mary or Saint Joseph. You're not. And they weren't either. Whatever caricature you have of them, they knew how to pour their... She wept while her son hung there. You weep when you've lost hope. She had lost hope that he was the Savior. 
All through the Bible, you've got saints pouring their hearts out to God. And what comes out is not always something that like God should be pleased with. Yet he invites us. Hey, are you weary and heavy laden? Come. Pour the whole thing out to him. And then, did you notice how eight ends? Wait in silence for God alone. That's one. Two. Rehearse the truth. Three. Pour your heart out to him. And how does eight end? Selah. Wait. We are bad at waiting and we are bad at silence. It must have been difficult back when Psalm 62 was written as well. Because he says it over and over and over again. Look at the last four verses. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Believe me when I tell you, that is going to set us up nicely for when we come back to James 2. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much credit card debt you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter how many enemies you have. Let me do it again. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how much debt you have. In the scales, power belongs to God. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. It doesn't matter how many enemies you have. So manipulating people and getting them on your side does not give you power. Power belongs to God. I have nothing to fear from the collector and I have nothing to fear from the enemy because power belongs to God. And... And if you can't pay the bills, maybe you should wait on the Lord. If you can't find a friend who understands you, maybe you should wait on the Lord. Quit scheming. Quit scrolling Facebook. Quit filling your mind with any distraction that you can find. Quit trying to come up with ways to get rich. Quit thinking about, oh, if I just had this, if I could just get a better that, if I just got a raise, quit. Quit reading about the election and how pedophile lizard people are taking over our nation and scheming ways to enslave all of humanity and QAnon is your only hope. Like, stop. Quit. Selah, what you need, some of you already know this because you've heard me preach before. Some of you don't know this and I hope you never forget it. What you need is kesed. Steadfast love. K 
covenant faithfulness. That's what the psalmist says God has. Once I've spoken, verse 11. Twice, sorry, once God has spoken. Twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs kesed, steadfast love, covenant faithfulness, for you will render to a man according to his work. Two things belong to God here. He has the power that belongs to him and God has steadfast love. Anytime you see the word steadfast love in the Old Testament, it is this Hebrew word chesed, which means covenant faithfulness. It is the word which contains more gospel implication than any other in the Old Testament, in my humble opinion. Covenant faithfulness describes the fact that God is no promise breaker. The Father and the Son made a covenant together before time began. And here was the promise, that the Son would ransom and redeem a people, and the Father would give the Son those people as a reward. So when Jesus, hanging on the cross, uttered the words, it is finished, that covenant was ratified. That sacrifice secured the rescue of every soul that trusts in Jesus. The Father reaches down to the gates of hell where we were clamoring to get in and he snatches us up and we are his forever. Covenant faithfulness. The power is his and the steadfast love is his. And thank God it is Because if I got what I deserved, it would be his power without that love facing me. It would be wrath and judgment poured out on me. It doesn't matter how much money you have. And it doesn't matter how much debt you have. Because the power belongs to God. And oh, by the way, one EMP blast would wipe out all the credit card debt anyway. You think they're still keeping paper records? They're not. God keeps his promises. The reason we need to rehearse this truth, in closing, the reason we need to rehearse this truth is because from a human perspective, it doesn't look like it's true at all. The shepherd songwriter looks around and sees duplicitous, nasty, two-faced, backstabbing, horrible, selfish, untrustworthy, hurtful people trying to destroy him. And he realizes, I need deliverance. I need help. I need prosperity. I need security. I need salvation. So he marks two truths. God has the power and steadfast love. That's number one. Truth number two, God will repay men according to their work. That's two. What are the works of God that we may do them? This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. God will render to a man according to his work. God will render to you according to your work. So, wait. 
in silence for God alone. Rehearse the truth and pour your heart out to him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.